Now, I don't want to take too much time here in verse 1 to simply just put it out there. This is James, the brother of Jesus. He is a pillar in the Jerusalem church. He is wise and he is well-respected. He is the one who offers his wisdom at the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. And James's message here in these 12 verses could be summarized as this. Suffer well. Build endurance in the faith so that you may finish well through the trials of life. James is extremely practical and he immediately calls the recipients of his letter to action. His letter differs from many of the other epistles in that he does not start with the indicatives and then turns to the imperatives. And what I mean that is that he doesn't spend a couple chapters giving truth and then turns and now says, because of this, do this. His theology is woven throughout the letter. And at times, it is more implicit than it is explicit. A good example would be to compare James and Paul. Or the book of James and the book of Ephesians. Two reasons why I believe there's, there's such a difference between James and Paul is, one, James is James. He has his own style and a very specific set of reasons for writing to these people that he's writing to. A second thing we can see from the book of James is that he's specifically writing to Christian Jews. As you see in verse 1, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. These people, as children, they were reared upon the Old Testament. They understood theology proper. It is safe to conclude that James assumed that they had a strong understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Unlike Paul, who dealt heavily with Gentile pagans, James is writing to those who already have some sort of theological base. And it is for these reasons that James moves from his greeting in verse 1 straight to the imperative. And what we see in verses 2 through 12 is the pastoral heart of James. He wants his brothers and sisters in Christ to suffer well, to persevere, and to finish well. You know, a question I often ask students, uh, students that I teach uh, at my church, I ask them, how do you want to be remembered when you die? I think it's a good question we should ask ourselves often. If you could be at your own funeral, what would you hear? Is that what you would want to be said about your life? Personally, there are three words that I would like to be said about me at my own funeral. He finished well. And I believe that should should be the desire for all of us. To say like Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Well, in order to finish well, we must learn how to suffer well when we face the trials of this life. And James walks us through how to suffer well in this life. 
And what I want us to consider here in verses 2, 3, and 4 is how he starts. And he starts with the right attitude. He says here in verse 2, Count it all joy when you meet trials. This is the attitude James calls believers to have when facing trials. When we face trials, I believe we can count it as everything but joy. At least for me. James is calling his readers here to something radical. Something completely contrary to human nature. In and of ourselves, we cannot do this. Only a life that has been transformed by the power of the gospel and enabled by the Holy Spirit has the ability to do this. To count it all joy when facing trials. The trials of this life are many. And James would call them various kinds here in verse 2. We need to understand that trials that we face in this life are not just external. But we face internal trials as well. It's not just external persecution. It can be. Not physical, but maybe verbal. Maybe a trial you're facing this day. You're being marginalized for your faith. Similar to what the Christians were facing when Peter writes to them in 1 Peter. Maybe some of the trials you're facing this morning, suffering with infertility or a miscarriage or an unbelieving spouse, trials in the workplace, a difficult boss, wayward children, financial issues. These are external trials. These are things that come our way in this life. But there are also these internal trials, fighting the lust of the flesh, covetousness, the internal battle against the flesh. I can do a good job of trying to limit my external trials or change locations or do whatever I can do, but I still bring me with me. And those internal trials are still there. So the trials that we face in this life are of various kinds. And James would say, count it all joy when you face these things. And he gives the explanation of why you should have this attitude. Why we should have this attitude of joy when we face trials. And that's in verses 3 and 4. For you know this, he tells his people. You already know this. You who have been brought forth by the word of truth. Verse 18, that your faith is being tested in order to produce a steadfastness in you that ultimately makes you more like Jesus. Trials, I think of trials like going to the gym and facing the treadmill. Nothing about that sounds fun. Nothing about that sounds fun. You get on the treadmill and you you set the speed to seven miles an hour. In about two minutes, you are suffering. After about ten minutes, you feel like everybody is looking at you with 911 on their speed dial. You know it's time to get off. But the next time you go back, the treadmill still isn't fun. 
But you're able to stay on it a little bit longer. And each time you go, little by little, you are able to do more and more. Why? You're building endurance. You're strengthening yourself. And you can rejoice in the results. I never get off the treadmill and say, I shouldn't have done that. You can rejoice in the results. Yet nothing sounds fun about the treadmill. The treadmill is a means to an end. So are trials. We are not told to here to rejoice in the trials themselves, but we should count it all joy for what the trials produce in our lives. Spiritual endurance, a stronger faith, a steadfastness, maturity, Christ-likeness. When we face difficulties in this life and suffering and soul pain, what's the question that we ask? Why is this happening to me, God? Should the question be, what can I learn about this? What, what, what does this trial reveal about me? So when you meet trials, whatever they may be, rejoice. Rejoice. For God is doing a work in your life to conform you to the image of His Son. This is the right attitude towards trials. Then James would go on, verses 5 through 8, and he would talk about the right action. Verse 5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. What is James saying here? He's saying, seek wisdom in the midst of your trials. Let me ask you, what is your first reaction to suffering, to trials, to a major difficulty? You don't have to answer that. James says, let it be seeking the face of God, asking for wisdom. The Sunday school this morning, uh, the, the message was, was so good, the lesson there, about our dependency. And that's what James is getting at even here, is our dependency upon God. We all admit that we are dependent upon Him. Jesus shows that when He instructs His disciples how to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We have to be dependent. We are dependent people upon God. But when suffering and difficulties and trials come into your life, Does that dependence shine forth? Or do we show an independence? If you are at all like me, I'm a person that likes to figure things out. I like the path of least resistance. And I often need to be reminded when difficulties and suffering come into my life. I need to be reminded to pray. I start to think. I start to plan. I start to figure But I need to be reminded and continue to see my dependence upon the Lord. I'm thankful for my wife who reminds me often to pray. Do you trust God through your trials? You see here, if we lack wisdom through trials, 
This is a recipe for disaster. We will lean on our own understanding. We won't see trials for what they are. And we will allow them to affect us in negative ways. I, have, I am guilty of time and time again in my own life of allowing suffering to, to, to make me bitter. To be resentful. Both vertically and horizontally. That's not what I'm to learn through trials. That's not what we're to learn through suffering. What we see here in verse 5 is that James appeals to theology proper. And he's he's saying that the right action flows from the right understanding of who God is. There are four things that James says about God. Consider those in verse 5. He is the God who gives. What does this mean? Pray to the one who gives. James 4.2, he says that you have not because you ask not. Not only is he the, the God who gives, but he is the God who gives generously. God gives generously to those who ask. This means God gives out of his abundance. He delights in giving. And when God gives generously, it's a gift. It's not a debt. So we see there's a, the God who gives. The God who gives generously. The God who gives generously to all. God shows no partiality. Wisdom from God is given to all who honestly seek it. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have a certain IQ to receive wisdom from the giving and generous Lord. There's a fourth thing we see here about God. Is that he does all this without reproach, James would say. This means that God does not say, well, you should have asked for wisdom sooner. Or, I know what you did last week and I'm holding that against you. You will not be chastised by God for seeking him for wisdom. He simply gives. But then James would offer a condition here in verse 6. And this is very important to understanding. In verse 6, he says, Believe with confident faith that God will give you the wisdom that you seek. If you doubt, and here's here's his point, if you doubt, you are doubting that God is who he says he is. James has strong words here in 6, 7, and 8 for the person who doubts God. For the person that doubts the goodness and kindness of God. I will admit though, when when trials and suffering and difficulty comes, we sometimes don't think right. We're affected by our trials. And and, and James is calling to right thinking here and and remember who God is in the midst of your trials. Do not doubt the goodness and the loving kindness of God. Of your father. For the one who doubts, he has no bearing, tossed like a wave in the wind. He shouldn't suppose to receive anything from the Lord. He is an unstable person. In the midst of trial and suffering and difficulties, theology matters. 
That is a rock-solid base. Our emotions will go everywhere. We will feel this way. We will feel this way. This is why we need to remember who God is in the midst of our difficulties and our trials. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Think of young children. They face various trials too. Who do they go to when they're facing trials? To the ones that they do not doubt their goodness or kindness. They go to their parents. Right now, my son, Harry, he's the oldest boy. He's three. He's facing trials. And to him, it's a big deal. His trials are a big deal. His blankets fall off in the middle of the night. And that's a big deal to him. And I think, oh, to have the trials of a three-year-old again. But without doubting, see, this wakes him up. He's uncovered, and it really bothers him. But without doubting, he gets up out of his bed, and he runs straight to our bedroom. And he knows where to go. To mom's side of the bed, of course. (laughs) And in the sincerity of his heart, he asks for help. Because he does not doubt the one who loves and cares for him. He knows, and his father as well, but his parents are the lovers of his soul. And mom will get up and go to that room and tuck him back in and make sure he's well. And it is this same childlike faith that we are to have when we pray for wisdom in the midst of trials in order to suffer well. Is that we believe that when we go to God and we need that wisdom for how to discern, how, 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 how to get through these difficult circumstances that we are facing in our life, that God will give that. Much like a mother going to tuck in her child. We cannot expect to suffer well Or build endurance in the faith if we neglect the means of grace that God has given us. Pray. Pray. When trials come your way, seek the Lord. Life is hard. Brothers and sisters, trials are many. And to consider it all joy, we are in need of wisdom from God that comes to a believing heart. James here gives a third means in order to suffer well. First, it's the right attitude. Then it's the right action. In verses 9 through 11, it's the right understanding. Here, James, verses 9, 10, and 11, James shifts to deal with a specific pair of trials his people were facing. Poverty and riches. The middle class at this time was largely non-existent, so you were either rich or poor. This message appealed to everybody that he was writing to. And in verse 9, he deals with the trial of poverty. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. The lowly brother is the humbled man in a state of poverty. In chapter 2, James deals with the harsh treatment that the poor were receiving from, from folks at church. They were told to sit on the floor or stand in the back. The poor were were without proper clothing. 
The rich would withhold wages from the poor knowing that they could do nothing about it. They were exploited, taken advantage of. And instead of getting bitter and thus forming a calloused heart or looking to someone else and coveting, James tells the lowly brother to boast in his exaltation. This is so rich. Here's the point. Have the right understanding when facing trials. James is telling his poor brothers and sisters to remember that they have been exalted in the eyes of God. To take your eyes off of your material circumstances and look and remember what God has done for you in Christ. Focus on your position in Christ. Commenting on this passage, Sean MacArthur says this, The believer who is deprived in this life can accept the temporary and insignificant deprivation because he has a future divine inheritance that is both eternal and secure. And this is why Peter can say to a suffering people, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. James is saying here, listen, the greatest treasure in this life... It is not wealth. It is not prosperity. It is having Christ. No matter what class you belong to, lower, middle, upper, your greatest treasure is Jesus Christ. God has exalted the poor and given them riches that no number system can count. Verses 10 and 11, James deals with the other side. Wealth has its trials too. While life, while life may seem trouble-free, what happens with wealth? Possessions. Possessions begin to multiply, and so do cares and temptations. For the rich, the trial is found in pride and self-sufficiency. And this is why James' charge to them is humility in verse 10. He reminds them of the futility of chasing after riches in verse 11. Just as the sun causes creation to wither, so will the riches of man fade away. Wealth is temporal. Consider the prayer of Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. When trials come, it is important to have the right understanding. Who we are in Christ. Our dependency upon God, not material things. You see, trials are the great equalizer. Rich or poor, you will face them. And this is why we must be, as we heard even this morning, we must be people who preach the gospel to ourselves. 
When you lose a loved one, a son, a daughter, parent, money will do nothing for you. When you are betrayed by a friend or suffer any other form of broken relationships or are told you have cancer, what is it that will carry you through those trials? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is knowing that, yes, suffering and difficulty will happen in this life. But there is a day when I will reach final salvation. And the words of Revelation 21 will be a present reality. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Christian, do you look forward to that day? It is this understanding that we need. We are the redeemed of God, purchased by the very blood and suffering of Jesus Christ. And we are no more like Christ than when we suffer for Him and with Him. As you preach the gospel to yourself in the midst of suffering, remember this. Jesus suffered well for you. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He was forsaken that we might be forgiven. He humbled Himself that He might exalt a people such as us so that we can boast in our exaltation. It's what God has done in Christ. So Christian, preach the gospel to yourself daily in the midst of suffering and through trials so that on those dark days of deep soul pain, you can be reminded of the blessed hope that has been secured by the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. Remember, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in verse 12, I've already touched on this, but we see the blessed reward. Verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This word blessed here in verse 12, it's the same word used for the Beatitudes. This is James's Beatitude. He says, look to the reward. Look to the finish line for your motivation. After a life of building endurance, a persevering crown awaits you promised by God. This term here, crown in verse 12, it is, that James uses, it's borrowed from athletics. A wreath would be placed on the victor's head showing persevering triumph. So when your day comes and God calls you off of the treadmill of life, there is a victor's crown awaiting you of of eternal life. Trials are everywhere. And there's no escaping them. And so the message here is to suffer well through them. To look to Jesus. To preach the gospel to yourself. To have the right attitude when facing trials. To take the right action in going to the Lord in prayer. Consider high school. 
For some of you, you might be in high school. For some uh, other, others of you, it might have been a, a time or two ago. But consider high school. You're slugging away through your studies. You are tired of homework, tests, books, teachers giving dirty looks. You have a curfew. You have rules. You want freedom. And your parents tell you no. And you are longing for the day when you go off to college and you will finally be free. And you think, when that day comes, the trials will cease. You are now in college. You are working to complete your major. Long hours, 10 to 15 page papers, five or six times a semester. You are working part time to have a little cash. And you think, man, when I just get through this, the trials will cease. You meet a boy or a girl in your senior year. You are thinking about marriage, but your first job sends you 500 miles away. All you are able to do during the week is FaceTime or talk on the phone. But you're getting tired of kissing the phone every night, and you think, man, when we get a little bit closer, these trials will cease. Circumstances work in your favor. And you both are brought together, and a marriage happens. But soon after the honeymoon, you realize it's not exactly what you envisioned it to be. After a hard day at work, you come home and you find that she ate all of the ice cream. When he sleeps, you wonder if he is practicing to be an MMA fighter. Or you buy earplugs because you cannot sleep through the snoring. And you think... Once we get used to each other a little bit more, these trials will cease. A year or two goes by, you find out you're going to have a baby. No need to talk about the morning sickness, fatigue, men having to run out to satisfy late night cravings. The baby comes and you think the trials are over. She cries every other hour of the night. She is fed, her diaper is dry. And you're pulling at your hair and you're saying, why won't she just sleep? And you think, man, if we could just get her to sleep through the night, these trials will cease. Kids start to grow up. You are running to soccer, dance, baseball, shows, you name it. And you think once they go off to college, the trials will cease. Work is no different. There is a constant barrage of trials, trials with management. If the economy is good, Things are good, but if it goes bad, you wonder if you'll still have a job. And you are thinking, I just need to make it to retirement. Retirement comes and you think, oh, I've made it at last. No more work. Kids are supposed to be out of the home. I'm going to travel and I'm going to enjoy life. Yet you start to miss the camaraderie and the friendships you had while working. You start to wonder if you're golfing too much. Health issues start to arise. And now you realize that the trials of this life never actually end. And this is why we need James's message on trials. Especially the promises that he gives. May God help us to suffer well with the right attitude, the right action, the right understanding looking to the blessed reward that awaits us when these trials cease and faith becomes sight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
pray that your word would continue to encourage us, strengthen us. That for the brother or sister in here that is enduring trials at this moment, that you would give them strength to persevere, looking to Jesus. Father, we need strength. And we recognize that in and of ourselves, we cannot produce any strength. We are dependent upon you. We rejoice, Lord, that you would send trials our way, that our faith would be tested, that it would grow, that we would be more steadfast, more mature, growing in Christ-likeness. Father, may that be our pursuit. I would also ask, Father, that we would make it our life's goal to finish well, to suffer well for Christ in these days. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.